0: Been holding on for too long, the
1: same, the same. All right, hello, everybody. We are going to get started right now. It's a little bit after 10 30, but we are fired up that so many people are here this morning. It is great to see everyone. Uh, fellowshipping, and we're certainly glad for those of you at home that are, are joining us online. I am Joe Collins, and I want to welcome you to See Me Church. Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We are a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, we're glad you're here. At this time, we're going to start off with a song or two. I'm going to ask Peter Wade to come on up. He's going to lead us in a song, and then we'll continue with our service.
0: So nice. Let's sing out together. If you don't know the words, I'm sure you'll catch right on. Here we go. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Sing it soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Sing it soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. oh well, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we're going soon and very soon. Oh, where well, we are going soon and very soon. Where well, we are going soon and very soon. Where well, we are going. Soon we sing a hallelujah, a hallelujah. well there's no more crying there. Where we are going, no more crying there. Where we are going, no more crying there where we are going we're singing hallelujah hallelujah oh gonna see my brother there where we are going see my brother there oh we are going see my brother there Where we are going, we sing a hallelujah, hallelujah. Gonna see my sister there, where we are going, see my sister there. Oh, we are going, see my sister there. Oh, we are going. We sing a hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, gonna see my Jesus there. Well, we are going. See my Jesus there. Oh, we are going. See my Jesus there. Where we are going, we sing hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going, oh, we're hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going, one more time, hallelujah, hallelujah, where we're going to see the King. All right. Let's sing Father I adore you and I lay my life before you How I love you, and brother, I adore you, and I lay my life before you, how I love you. And sister, I adore you, and I lay my life before you. How I love you, and Spirit, I adore you, and I lay my life before you. How I love you, and Jesus... I adore you, and I lay my life before you. How I love you, O Father, I adore you, and I lay my life before you. How I love you. How I love you.
1: Man, Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. It's great. Go ahead and be seated. So for the past several months, we've been in a series called One-on-One with Jesus. The idea is to take a look at various interactions Jesus had with different people in Scripture and to see what we can learn. Last week, we looked at an interaction between Jesus and a paralytic, and we learned that as Christians, our mission really is to bring people to Christ. Today, we're going to look at a one-on-one between Jesus and a demon-possessed man. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our life and faith today. So uh, I have this little funny story. Jesus and Satan, one day, were having a little conversation, and they got into a competition, and they they were competing over—they were arguing over— who would be the fastest at writing an essay? And so they they asked God the Father to be the timer, and he gave them 30 minutes, and he hit the time, he said go, and both Jesus and Satan started typing away furiously on their their computers, uh, writing their essays, and about 20 minutes into it, two minutes before the time was up, the power goes out, both computers go off. Takes about a minute for them to reboot. They reboot, and Jesus very calmly hits print and prints out his essay, but Satan... Has lost all his material. And he looks at God and he goes, This isn't fair. How is it that the power went out? I lost all my information, but Jesus didn't. And God smiled and said, Jesus saves. So today I want to talk about Jesus saving. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, and he still is in the business of saving people. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, chapter 8. We're going to start in verse. 28. Let's pray before we read. Father, it is so great to come and worship you. And we're outside, we're in your great creation. It's a beautiful day today. Many of us are at home watching online and they're enjoying a a time of connection. I pray that your spirit meet with all. Bring us closer to you. Help us to see great things in your word. Be inspired by what you read, by what you've uh, done and, and, and the recording that's been left for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they went to the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down into the steep bank, into the lake, and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man or men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So, Or just like last week, today's one-on-one was also, is also has also been recorded in three out of the four Gospels. And like last week, we're going to take time today to read all three accounts. Beginning with Matthew's account, which once again is the shortest of the three, Matthew emphasizes Jesus' absolute and total authority over all things natural and supernatural. In verse 28, we read about two demon-possessed men who were so violent that no one in the region of the Gadarenes could control them. Yet in verse 29, at the mere sight of Jesus, they are instantly afraid of him and what he might do to them. So much so that in verse 31, they beg Jesus to let them go rather than being tortured. In verse 32, Jesus gives them permission, and they go into a herd of pigs, which they run down uh, the hillside into the lake. <clears throat> I wanna ask you a question and I wouldn't mind some feedback. If you're listening at home, feel free to write your answer in the chat. I actually have my friend Kaylee here. She's got her phone on and we can read what you're writing in the chat. And if you wanna answer the question, put it in there. And if we can get it in time, I'll share it with what uh, we learn here. But for those of you here today, let me ask you this question. Have you ever met or been around a person who was truly authoritative, a person of power, someone who's just their presence in the room just exuded authority. Can anyone share about someone that they've been around that was like that for them? Go ahead. You can just share. Yeah. Judy. Teacher. Uh Uh-huh. It was your first grade teacher. It was your seventh grade teacher. And you, you just got in line. When they came in the room, you got in line. That's a good example. Is anyone else? Yes, Daniel. Oh, he mentioned his dad. His dad's very authoritative. Did anybody online put anything in the chat yet? Okay, that's fine. You know, I got to thinking about it. It's not as easy. You know, at first I thought, oh yeah, people will have an answer. But it's not that easy, right, To be around, to meet someone like that. The closest I came was my Uncle Barney. I grew up and I heard stories of Uncle Barney that uh, I I remember to this day. One of them was a time when he was working on a car. Now this was a 1950s era Ford. He had it up on a jack, on jack stands. He was underneath it. He had the wheel off and he was working on the brakes and the jack failed and it collapsed onto onto him. The car did. The the wheel drum actually hit, or the brake drum actually hit him in the chin. It gashed his chin open. He was all alone pinned under the car. And my Uncle Barney literally bench-pressed the car off of himself to get out from under it. Another story about my uncle, he was a, uh, you know, a football star in high school, played a little college. He was a big guy. Another story about him was when my dad was moving his business. My dad was a printer, and he had lots of really big equipment. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to, what do they call it now? I mean, Kinko's, FedEx or whatever. You go to FedEx, and if you ever have something printed and you want it cut, they'll print out sheets, and then maybe they cut it in half so you have two flyers or whatever. Well, if you've ever seen them use that little cutter, it's a little cutter, it's maybe this tall, this wide, it's a little electronic thing. They take maybe this much paper, they put it in there, they step on on a pedal, this thing comes down, this brace holds the paper, then they push a button and this big blade comes down, cuts the paper. It'll cut like this much paper at one time. My dad had a paper cutter that made that thing look like a toy. This paper cutter was literally, as, as the table of it was maybe this big. It went back several feet. The, the platform that held the paper was maybe this thick of solid metal. The blade was 72 inches long on it. It was run with a motor and hydraulics. I used to work it in the summers. And I could take sheets of paper this thick, big, long sheets. I could put it in there. I'd step on the bracket that would come down and hold it, and I'd hit the button. And this blade would come down, zhong, zhong and it would just cut right through that paper. This thing weighed tons. Well, my dad needed to move it to a different position in his shop, and my dad and two other guys had this giant lever uh, a crowbar, and they were pulling on it, pulling on it, pulling on it. They couldn't budget. My uncle took that crowbar by himself, shoved it under there, and bounced that machine <laughs> across the floor to get it to the position that they wanted it in. I mean, my uncle was a pride. So let me ask you a question. For those of you that maybe have thought of someone, what was it like to be around them? Judy already shared how it was kind of intimidating to be in the classroom with her teacher. He was, he was authoritative. You, you stood in line. But what was it like? Just think about that for a minute. For me, I was thinking about my uncle. And you know, I wasn't because I knew my uncle when I was little. I take that back. There was one time that I was intimidated by my uncle. And that was when I started playing football and he wanted to teach me what a forearm shiver looked like. Now, for those of you that don't know in football, a forearm shiver is when you don't want someone to block you and so you use your forearm and you basically punch them in the chest like that to keep them off of you. And my uncle wanted to show me what that felt like. I can tell you, I was very intimidated in that moment. But, you know, as powerful as he was to be able to bench press a car or, or move a, a couple of ton machinery or somebody you're thinking about, as powerful, as intimidating as they are, none of them compare to the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, being around him must have been incredibly intimidating, especially if you didn't know him or have a relationship with him. Well, that's exactly how the people in the Gerardines felt about Jesus. Verse 34 says that when the people from the nearby town came out and saw what Jesus had done, they were so pleaded with him to leave the region. You know, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. People today are just as intimidated with Jesus as they were 2,000 years ago in that little village in the Girardines. And it all boils down to the simple fact that they don't know him. They don't have a relationship (laughs) with him. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but turn with me over to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 to 39. And I need some more. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across from the, sea of the Lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, he had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tomb. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Don't torture me for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon to solitary places. And what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly to order them to go, not to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside the demons begged jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission when the demons came out of the man he went into the pigs they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into was drowned when those tending the pigs saw what had happened they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened when they came to jesus they found the man from whom the demon had gone had done. So like last week, both Luke and, as we'll see in a minute, Mark's accounts are significantly longer and more detailed. And they offer a slightly different perspective on the one-on-one between Jesus and the demon-possessed man. The most obvious difference is that there wasn't just one that wasn't, there wasn't, they don't mention the second demoniac. Now, at first, this may seem inconsistent, maybe even problematic, but it's really not that big of a deal. The simplest and most rational explanation for any differences we read in in the gospel accounts is that each writer had their own different perspective and reason for telling the stories the way they did. And so they typically only included the information necessary or that they needed to accomplish their purpose. So if we were to look at all three accounts, it's clear that there were actually two demoniacs that were healed by Jesus, but apparently only one of them begged to stay with Jesus. And because Matthew was primarily concerned with Jesus's power and authority over all things natural and supernatural, he chose to mention both demoniacs in order to emphasize that power. While Luke and Mark were more concerned with the real-time life change and long-term perspective change respectively, that Jesus' authority can have on a person's life and community. So they chose to focus their accounts on just the one demoniac who illustrated their outcomes, or who best illustrated their outcomes. So we got that cleared up. What I want to do now is go through Luke's account and draw out a few things and talk about that real-time life change that Luke is highlighting. In verse 26, Luke tells us, that Jesus and his disciples sailed for the Gerasenes, probably for a little relaxation. But unfortunately, as soon as Jesus stepped foot on the land, he was immediately met by the demoniac. Verse 27 says that for a long time, this guy had not worn clothes or even lived in a house. In verse 29, it says that many times people tried to restrain him from hurting themselves or others, but that he had broken their chains and was driven by his affliction into lonely places. Now, the region of the Gerasenes, or Garaeans, or Gerasenes, as Luke refers to them, was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It was in what what they called Gentile territory. It was steeped in pagan belief and practice. It was a place outside of the umbrella of God's authority and protection. The Jews considered it hostile, even enemy territory. In some ways, I don't think the disciples were all that surprised to find someone as troubled as the demoniac there. They would expect that to occur there. To them, this was a place that was at the bottom of that slippery slope. This is where the worst of the worst were. They were lost causes. It was the end result of a culture and religion that systematically and systemically rejected God and his law. Verse 28 tells us, that as soon as they saw Jesus, he came running. Don't ever think because someone doesn't know Jesus that they don't want to know Jesus. In verse 30, Jesus asked, what is your name? And this guy's answer is chilling. And it ought to give pause to any one of us or to anyone who is living outside of the umbrella of God's protection and law. He said, legion, because there was not one evil afflicting him. There were many. You know, if you're not currently living under the umbrella of God's authority and protection, you are opening yourself up to all kinds of evil influences and afflictions. But there is hope. Verse 35 says that after Jesus drove the demons out, the man is seen sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. It is a 180-degree change from what he once was to what he now is. Here's the thing I think Luke wants us to hear. Because Jesus has complete and total authority over all things natural and supernatural, he also has the ability to change your life right now in real time. All you need to do is accept his authority over your life. I did the math. It's been 29 years, seven months, two weeks, and six days since I said Jesus is Lord and was baptized into Christ. And I'll never forget it. All of the angst, the frustration, the accumulation of the effects of sin in my life had built up for years. And in a moment, they were gone. They evaporated as if they had never, ever happened. And I was set free from the things that afflicted me. You know, you can be free too. Anyone who's willing to make Jesus Lord of their life can be free of what afflicts them. If you want to know more, feel free to contact me on our website or ask the person that invited you to church. We'd love to tell you more. Mark chapter five. Verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He said, Again and again, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And all the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy to you. So they and began to tell him, the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed." You know Matthew as I said focused on Jesus's authority. Luke focused on the real-time life change. Mark here seems to highlight this longer term change in perspective that the that this demoniac experienced as a result of Jesus's authority in his life. In verse 5 it says night and day he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You know I have no idea how long this man had been demon possessed but it appears by the severity of his behavior that he had been suffering for quite some time. And he had no relief. Verse 18 tells us that as Jesus was getting ready to leave, the now former demoniac begged to go with him. But in verses 19 and 20, Jesus refused and instead told him to go to his own people and tell them what he had done for him. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He went back to the region of the Decapolis and started telling everyone he knew what Jesus had done for him. I want to share another scripture, and then I'm going to tie these together. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 and 10 says this. About a year or so after, I'm sorry, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people, for they have been with me three days and had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to eat to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked seven. They replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute among the people. And they did. They had a few small fish as well. And he gave them so and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were that were left over about 4,000 were present. After he would sent them away, he got his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanthu. So it's about a year after Jesus had healed this demoniac. And he's returned to the region of the Gerasenes. That's where this account in Mark chapter eight takes place. And, and upon doing so, some 4,000 men, maybe as many as 15 to 20,000 people, turned out to hear him speak. Now, as far as I know, I know of no other time Jesus set foot on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee than the the time that we talked about before where he went and healed the two and then this time in Mark chapter. The funny thing is, is the first time he was there, he was only there for a few hours before the townspeople came out, were so afraid of him, they shoot him away. But the second time when he visited about a year or so later thousands of people came out and sat for hours to hear him speak. So what changed? Well, the demoniac changed. Isn't it ironic that the one guy who was arguably the farthest from God was now the one guy who wanted to be the closest to God? And when Jesus said, no, you can't come with me, but stay home and tell your people what I did, he did. And a year later, when Jesus returns to the region, some 15 to 20,000 people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, and they didn't shoo him away because they were afraid. One guy helped an entire community of people overcome their fear of Jesus. It was just one encounter this guy went from being bound by no man to being bound to Christ, from crying to calm, from cutting to contrite, from demon-possessed to evangelist. After just one meeting with Jesus Christ. Now that is an undeniable and unmistakable change in perspective. You know, I said at the beginning, Jesus saves. Mark believed it. Matthew and Luke believed it. I believe it. I know believed it. The question is, do you believe it? And if you do, how has your perspective changed? What is different about you today that wasn't true before you met Christ? What do the people you know see in you? What changes can they observe and point to and say, man, that happened because you met Jesus Christ. The more we let our changes be seen by the people around us, the more we're going to help introduce them to Jesus. The more we're going to make Jesus a friendly person and not someone that they're afraid of. The more they're going to see him, the more they see him in us, the more they're going to be drawn to him. So let me close by saying to you what Jesus said to the demoniac. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. My wife's going to come up She's going to lead us into a time of communion. Well, I want to thank my husband for doing a great job today and reminding us uh, that we've all been changed and that we have a testimony to share.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of that I would change about my soul.